So I invite you now to turn to the scripture passage for today. This is John chapter 20. We're going to read verses 11 through 18. You can find that, of course, in your Bible, on your Bible app, on your phone. It's also in the bulletin. Does anybody have a Kleenex? I really should start just bringing my own because I've been a mess lately, but I know somebody's got something somewhere. Again, Kleenex from a man, always a little nerve-wracking. But... Start thing. Oh. I'm sick, I'm tired, I'm emotional. I should have a lot of Kleenex with me, shouldn't I? Okay. Our passage this afternoon, probably. Nope, still the morning. Is... John chapter 20, beginning at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So far, the reading of God's holy word. So, we have uh, spent the last couple of months, really, a few months, I think, uh, looking at a number of encounters that Jesus has with various people as recorded uh, in the gospel according to John. And up until this point, every single one of those uh, encounters has been pre-crucifixion and resurrection. So, it's been Jesus encountering someone before he died and rose again. But this is Easter Sunday. We're celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we're looking at together is the first appearance that Jesus makes to anyone after he rises again from the dead. And, and it's just the first, actually, of many. Jesus, uh, the gospel, um, sorry, the New Testament records that Jesus appeared to up to 500 people, maybe even more, actually, at least 500 people, uh, over a period of 40 days, uh, and these people were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. Now, in a room this size with this many people here, there's, I bet you dollars to donuts, there's someone, at least one person here, who says, look, 
there is really no good reason to believe in the resurrection. There's someone here who says, look, I'm a scientific person. I am a modern person. I understand that dead people stay dead. Back in those days, people didn't quite understand how science worked, and so they were able to make mistakes and, and uh, uh, kind of uh, were a little more credulous, uh, a little more able to believe these kinds of very fantastical stories. But I just find this incredibly hard to believe. And you know what? I'm with you. It is hard to believe the resurrection. But here's the thing, okay? It's not just hard to believe the resurrection for you. It's not just hard for you and me to believe the resurrection as modern, scientific, educated people, Western people. It was just as hard for people back in the first century to believe in the resurrection. Basically, there were two kinds of worldviews back then. There was the Greek worldview, at least in the time of the Bible and in the area of the Bible. There was the, the Greek worldview and there was the Jewish worldview. And the Greek worldview said that the physical world is bad and evil and something that human beings ought to desire to escape. And therefore, a resurrection would be the worst thing in the world. When you die, if you actually came back physically, that would be like sort of experience some version of, of a cyclical hell like Groundhog Day or something. And so people didn't want the resurrection if they thought from a Greek perspective. According to the Jews who Jesus lived and ministered among, there was a, a vague belief in a possible physical resurrection sometime at the end of history, maybe. But the idea that an individual could be resurrected, raised from the dead, the way Jesus was in the middle of history was utterly inconceivable. It was impossible to believe that. And so even though there may have been different reasons to disbelieve the resurrection 2,000 years ago, people had just as hard, a, as hard a time believing in the resurrection as we do today. The question I want to ask you is, if you don't believe in the resurrection, what overwhelming evidence would you need to accept that it actually happened? What would it take to smash your modern, western, scientific worldview that says it is impossible that this could have happened. Because, you know, that's what happened to them. Something happened that smashed through their worldview, that made people who said it is impossible for this to happen, to actually believe that it did happen. What it was, was, what it was, was, um, was these appearances that Jesus made to people. He appeared personally, physically, individually to hundreds of people who saw him, who spoke with him, who touched him physically, who sat down and ate meals with him. And then thousands upon thousands of others believed based upon the eyewitnesses of those who said that they saw him, their friends, their family, their neighbors. In other words, 
people close to them who they trusted came to them and said, look, I have seen the Lord like Mary did when she went to the disciples and said, I have seen the Lord. People came to these people, people who they trusted, whose opinion mattered to them, who they respected, who said, I have seen the Lord. And they said, well, you know what? Normally I would think this is crazy, but because it's coming from you, I've got to believe it's true. You know, actually, historians are baffled. They're baffled. And this is secular historians, as much as Christian, well, not Christian historians are baffled by this, but secular historians are very baffled by this. 2,000 years ago, you got to understand, a new religion was born virtually overnight and swept across the world with such force that now up to one-third of the world's population believes it. I know we're living in the West and people are like, oh, you know, religion is dying and it's falling apart and nobody believes in Christianity anymore and we're wringing our hands and freaking out over it. Don't freak out over it. If you want to, just go to Africa. Just go to Latin America. Just go to China and South Asia. Christianity is... (laughs) Spreading like wildfire. All because of credible eyewitness testimony. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what, are you going to tell me that the Bible is credible eyewitness testimony? How on earth can you believe that that's not just a bunch of legends? And I'm going to give you one reason today that you can believe the Bible is not just a bunch of legends. It's the story of Mary. Mary Magdalene. She's the first person to see the resurrected Jesus. And the fact that it was her (laughs) and what happened to her as a result of what she saw is evidence, strong evidence, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an objectively true fact of history. What I'm going to do with you this morning is just show you for a minute and then... And then I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm going to show you that, at least. And then we'll see what happens next. Make room for the Holy Spirit. Okay. First of all, who is Mary Magdalene? It's a little confusing because uh, in the Gospels, there's a bunch of Marys, right? So you're like, which one is this? Which one is that? This Mary is Mary Magdalene, who, if you go to Luke chapter 8, you will read, was a wealthy woman prominent woman but an extremely troubled woman she had she was possessed by seven demons it says now seven in in the bible is often a number of completion of 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 perfection and so it's a way of saying that she was super possessed the only other person we read about who was possessed on this level was the guy who was possessed by legion you can read about in in the, in the gospels remember he's He's a man who was cutting himself and howling and had superhuman strength and people were absolutely terrified of this guy because he was out of his mind, okay? Well, Mary was a wicked woman. She was a destructive woman. She had a terrible reputation. Some have tried to say that she was a prostitute. That's probably not true. But there's no doubt that Mary was an absolute disaster, but had been rescued by Jesus and now had become a devoted follower of his. She was a woman with a past. 
and she was a woman. And you say, oh, duh, <laughs> she was a woman. But it's significant that she was a woman and that she was a woman with the past because in the first century, when you had to testify in court about the truth of something, a woman's testimony, sorry ladies, a woman's testimony was not permissible. Only the testimony of a man was per per permissible because she was not considered a credible witness. And yet, Jesus chooses to reveal himself first of all to her, a woman, and to her, a woman with a terrible past. Now, if you wanted to convince the world of the resurrection, this is not the way you would go about doing it unless, because it would undermine your credibility, unless what? Unless this is exactly how it happened. So Mary's got this strike against her, but there's more to this story that demonstrates its truth, and this is that Mary is actually kind of thick-headed. When you think of people in the New Testament who are thick, who don't understand, typically you think of Peter, right? The apostle Peter. Peter, I love Peter. Peter's my kind of guy. Peter's the guy who speaks first and thinks second, and I do a lot of that myself, so I, I sympathize with Peter. And he's often the guy who kind of articulates a failure to understand what on earth is going on. Everybody else is just as dumb, but he's the one who admits it openly and honestly. But in this story, it's actually Mary who we discover is the one who's so thick-headed. She's so slow. She comes to the grave, and the grave she sees is empty. So what does she do? She runs back. She gets Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest friends. They come. You can read about this in the first verses of John chapter 20. They come, they look into the tomb, they see that the grave clothes are nicely folded up and laying there, okay? And obviously there's no body there. And they turn around and they leave. And it says that they believed. In other words, they understood that there's no point looking for a corpse here because there's no corpse to be found. But Mary stays. She stays. She says, the body's got to be here somewhere. I just got to find it. And she doesn't understand, you see. Even with all the past evidence that she's received, her life, her relationship with Jesus, where she actually experienced liberation, freedom from the bondage of this demon possession. She spent time in his ministry listening or watching him uh, do tremendous things like uh, raise people from the dead and... and uh, to, uh, touch lame people so that they could walk and touch lepers so that they're healed. She's listened to his teaching where he spoke with authority and he said over and over and over again, look, I am going to die, but then three days later, I am going to rise. She walks into this grave and she sees that the linens are there and, and therefore it's not like the body was stolen by grave, grave robbers because grave robbers steal the linens too. That's one of the most valuable parts of the whole thing, so that's why you, you come to do this. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus' enemies, they had figured out that Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead. Now, they didn't think he'd do it, but they at least knew that he said he was going to do it, and so they posted guards to make sure that nobody did come and steal the body. And then most striking of all, Mary meets the angels. Every time in the New Testament, I, in fact, pretty much throughout the whole Bible, when you meet an angel, you know you met an angel. 
and you fall on the ground or you turn and run, hightail it out of, out of there because angels are these extraterrestrials and they're glorious and beautiful. Mary meets these two angels inside the, the, the tomb there and they have very little impression on her at all. Why? What's going on? Here's why. Mary's worldview. See, Mary simply could not wrap her head around the idea that someone can rise from the dead. Dead people stay dead. They don't undeadify themselves. There was no room for that possibility in her mind. And so she had all this evidence that Jesus must have risen from the dead, and she doesn't go there. Even when Jesus comes and speaks to her, the first time he speaks to her, she doesn't recognize him. Now, here's what I want to propose to those of you who are skeptical. Your incredulity to the possibility of the resurrection is due probably more to your worldview and your closed-mindedness than it is to a lack of evidence. You think it's hard to believe. Yes, I am not disputing that. It is hard to, it is hard to believe. Okay, you say, I'm a skeptic. And I would say, well, you're not as consistent a skeptic as you say you are because you're not willing to be skeptical of your skepticism. And you say, okay, well, what do I do? All right, keep listening. <laughs> keep listening. Mary did believe in the end, right? But why did she believe? The reason she believed is because Jesus changed her life. Look, Mary is distraught. She's despairing. She's weeping. She's overwhelmed. She's sorrowful. Why? 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 Love. Love is why she's so freaked out. Her life had been an absolute disaster. And Jesus had rescued her. She was a complete and utter outcast. When you have seven demons possessing you, the, re the, the behavior that you get involved in is definitely going to marginalize you from your community. She knew that she was a sinner. She knew that she was broken. She knew the size of the debt that she owed because of her sin. And yet Christ came along and he forgave all of it. It's simple arithmetic. Jesus says in Luke chapter 7, those who are forgiven much love much. That's the principle. See, what I'm trying to tell you here is that Mary was primed to believe the resurrection because of love. Love, Paul says in Corinthians, always hopes. You see, because of love, she wanted to believe. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Those of you who are skeptical of the resurrection, what you need to do first is you need to go back to the crucifixion. 
And you need to see that Jesus, when he hung on that cross, he was dying not, as we said on Friday, because the conspiracy of the Romans and the Jews together just caught him up in this political machinations that were bigger than him and there was nothing he could do about it and he just got slammed on that cross and that poor innocent guy died, darn it all. Oh no, you've got to go back to the cross and you've got to see a God who came into this world and who said, I know everything about you. I know exactly what you're going to do. I know exactly what you've done. I know exactly what you think of me. I know exactly what you're going to do to me. But I don't care. I love you so much. I'm going to let you get your hands on me. I'm going to let you slam me onto a pile of wood and hang me there to face punishment for your sin before you even understand what I'm doing. I'm going to let you do that. You know why? Because I have seen you to the bottom and I have loved you to the skies. And when you see that, it will make you want to believe the resurrection. You ask, what do I do? This is the first thing you do. You have to want to believe. You know, in your own relationships, that's how it works. It's a negative example, and that's why I'm a little reticent to use it, but any one of us who's in love deeply with someone, how blind can we be to their shortcomings, hey? Because why? You want to believe them. But the the same thing works the other way. Because you want to believe Jesus as you see the sacrifice he made for you, because you want to believe him, you're primed to believe him. See, love kept Mary at the grave. When everybody else left, she was determined to find that body. But here's the thing. She still had not met the risen Christ until he met her. It's so beautiful how this unfolds, you know. She's all distraught and weeping and, and she meets a person and she thinks this person is the gardener and, and she says, you know, just give me the body and I'll, I'll take care of it. And Jesus looks at her and he says, Mary. He calls her name and all of a sudden she recognizes him. And she responds with, Rabboni, teacher. And she falls at his feet, weeping, clinging to him. And you know, Jesus said it would be like this because in John chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. See, Jesus called Mary by name and she recognized his voice and followed and she sent with a heart full of joy out to tell the brothers, you have seen the Lord. See, here's what we got to do. We got to ask ourselves, why did Jesus reveal himself to Mary first? Why Mary? If you read the rest of the, the, the Gospels after the resurrection, you discover that, and I, this is weird, I admit, okay? I'm not telling you everything in Christianity is like logical by our limited standards, I'm telling you, it's true. 
And this is one of the weird things, okay? Jesus has a resurrected body. You know Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? Lazarus had a resuscitated body. So when Lazarus went home and he said, wow, I am a resuscitated person. I can do all things, man. Woo, and he tried to walk through the wall. He hit it and he fell over and he went, ow, that was stupid. But when Jesus, with his resurrected body, chose to walk through walls, see, that's, that's totally how it happened with that sound. He walked through walls. He could appear to people out of nowhere. I don't know if he could teleport, but I can tell you right now, in the new heavens and the new earth, if we cannot teleport, I will be bummed. <laughs> I hate to drive. I've always wanted to teleport. But he could go anywhere, apparently. He could have revealed himself first and foremost to anybody. He could have gone to Pilate and said, hey, buddy, remember me? He could have gone to Herod and said, you and I, we got to have a conversation. He could have gone to the Sanhedrin and said, you called yourself the rulers of Israel, and I told you this was going to happen, you fools. He doesn't go to any of them. He goes to Mary first. Even Mary gets Peter and John, his two closest friends, the disciple whom he loved, and Peter, the rock on whom he's going to build his church. They show up. And not until they leave again does Jesus reveal himself to Mary. Why? And why does the light turn on when he says her name? I'll tell you. Because Jesus' salvation is so sheerly by grace that at every opportunity he needs to drive that home to us. He wants to show us that his salvation is absolutely for everyone. You see, our salvation is not based upon our pedigree. Maybe you're here and you think, you know, I, you know, I don't believe this stuff because I didn't grow up like you religious people. I didn't grow up in a Christian family and have all the Christian teaching and have all the opportunities to hear about Jesus. And that's why I don't, that's, that's maybe why I don't believe. No, Jesus will have none of that. Maybe, maybe you need to understand it's not by your record. Maybe you're here and you think, well, maybe I don't believe because I'm just too sinful, too many horrible things I've done, too many horrible things I've, I've, I've committed, and I just cannot believe that, that I can be forgiven for all of that, that that can just be taken away, all the shame, all the guilt, without any repercussions. And so I can't believe that. No, Jesus will have none of that. It doesn't depend on your education. Maybe you're here and you're skeptical because you know what? You have an engineering degree and you have a, a chemistry degree or you have an anthropology degree and you're very well educated and you think to yourself, well, because of all these things, I just have too many obstacles in my way. Jesus says, I will have none of that. Your salvation is not based upon your education or lack of education, your gender, your class, your, your sophistication, your, your bank account, your morality. It is based upon my grace. From first to last, from beginning to end, it's all sheer grace. So the second thing you have to do is you have to hear him call your name. Have you heard him call your name? Listen, 
I grew up in a church, going to church every Sunday. I went to Sunday school. I went to youth programs. I went to Christian day school. I even had parents who were nominal Christians for many, many years, but both had very traumatic and dramatic, I don't know if you call it conversion or revival stories, but my parents went from one Sunday, let's talk about church, 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 and let's be grumpy about going, and let's read the Bible really quickly after our family meals to have devotions to. I'm telling you, it was like a switch flipped. Next thing you know, it's Jesus, 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 and let's pray more, and let's sing more, and let's celebrate more, and let's tell more people about him more. It freaked me out, okay? I grew up in a Jesus freak house, and as a teenager, that was a little tough to swallow at times, to be honest. And for a really long time, Christianity to me was a good thing. You know? It was good. Good community to be a part of, good life to live. It was good, but it wasn't personal. Until one day it got real personal, and I heard Jesus call my name just like he did Mary's. I remember when he broke through. And he spoke my name and I realized you are real. And you're really there. Because you spoke my name, you love me. You know me. You gotta hear him call your name and you say, well, how do I hear him call my name? Well, are you listening for his voice? How do you do that? Where does he speak? Right here. Right here. Mary was at least looking for him. Maybe she was looking for the wrong Jesus. She was looking for the body. But at least she was looking. You've got to go looking for him. He promises, if you seek, you will find. If you ask, it will be given to you. If you knock, the door will be opened. Some of you, it's actually because those promises are so blatant and you are so afraid of giving your life to him that you refuse to ask. You won't seek. You won't knock. You'll find the next Bart Ehrman book that tries to deconstruct the New Testament and prove like, Hundreds of authors have tried before him that, that this was just a grand conspiracy concocted by naive first century Jews in an attempt to overcome the Roman Empire. And it's, it's just, it's more fantastical than a Dan Brown novel. And maybe you're wondering, how do I know he's called my name? <laughs> oh man, you will know. Look at verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Here's how you'll know. You will be compelled to tell others. And this may happen to you more than once. 
you know, you guys know that I was gone on Arrow. I was, I'm in a leadership development program, and I was gone not this past week, but the week for, before for a whole week. And I'll, I'll confess something to you. I don't want to get too personal all the time, but it's worthwhile for now, for this context. So for the last year or so, I'd not been questioning my faith because I, I believe the resurrection. Like, I'm stuck. If you're skeptical, go find out about the resurrection. Read The Resurrection of the Son of God by N.T. Wright. It's only like 800 pages. That's what you got to deal with. If he rose from the dead, you got a problem. I'm just going to lay it on you. You got a problem. If you're skeptical, but he rose from the dead, you got a problem. So it's not that I, I didn't believe that Jesus existed or that he's son of God, but for the last year or so, being the emotional person that I am, I just, I just had not felt his presence in my life. And it was, it was really hard. And one day while we were at Arrow, we were sent by our leaders. They tell you what to do every day. And one of the things they told us to do was they said, okay, take Psalm 23 and everybody leave. And you got an hour and 45 minutes to meditate on that Psalm. You ever meditated on one piece of scripture for an hour and 45 minutes? I know you'd think I have because I'm so holy. <laughs> but I had not. But for some strange reason, I was determined. And so the Holy Spirit, he, he sat me down on a park bench in this, in this place. And I spent, I spent an hour thinking about, praying about, babbling about. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Those four lines. I spent an hour and after an hour of thinking and wrestling with this stuff and not really coming to anything, to be honest with you, I got up and I started walking because I think better when I move. And I was walking and I was praying and I, I pray out loud while I walk. And half the time I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm talking to God. And, and, and at one point I got really upset with him. And I said, and you said a shepherd never leaves his sheep. And all of a sudden... I got those words out of my mouth and my, my, my mind was flooded with images from the last year of my life of experiences where God was so brutally, obviously present in something I had been going through, but I just had not seen it. And I was so flooded with the presence of the love of God in my life. Like it was just, it was like a weight bearing down on me in a good way. And why do I tell you that story? Because as that experience unfolded and by the end of that experience, I moved from experiencing his love to a time of confessing my sin to him like I hadn't done for a long, long time, to being so incredibly thankful. Like this is what, this is the gospel road, right? Like I just went right through the gospel road and I'm a minister. I should be going through this all the time. But then I got to the end of that road and you know what the end of the road was? The end of the road was I could not wait to tell somebody. That's the end game 
to share. Like Mary could not wait to go to her brothers and say, and Jesus' brothers. And by the way, he, he calls Peter and James and the disciples his brothers. Go to your brothers and my brothers. What a nice savior, eh? He doesn't say, go to those numbskulls. He says to my brothers. But she, she was so compelled. She couldn't wait to share it. That's how you know. That's all I have to say. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for what you've done in so many of our lives, showing yourself to us. And Father, it's not like we deserve these experiences of your grace. Um, it's not like we deserve these experiences of your love and kindness, and frankly, our faith shouldn't depend on them because Jesus rose from the dead. You are true. But Father, your word also tells us to, to taste and see that you are good. And so, Father, we pray that you will visit all of us, some of us maybe for the very first time, some of us maybe after a long time between visits, frankly. And for some of us, it's just lucky ducks, just a regular part of their walk with you. They sit down with you like a good friend having coffee on a regular basis, regardless of where we're at. Meet us, reveal yourself to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.